turn with me in your Bibles to the 8th chapter, 1 Corinthians. Sorry. Is it working? <laughs> anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13 is our context, but we are looking at the first three verses because we all know we have knowledge. Right? Let's read the first three verses and then ask the Lord to teach us. Now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known how he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, and I just pray that uh, you take the things that you showed me and the things that you encouraged me and strengthened me with. And Father, just brought great joy to my heart, Lord, that you will do the same to these precious saints. Father, we may grasp this. Father, we may embrace this, that we may understand this, but a little more. Father, that uh, you will do immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine. To you, my Lord, to you, my King, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. You can't look at this text and not at some point kind of deal with the culture in which the church in Corinth was in. There, It was polytheistic. They had a God for everything. Everything, absolutely everything. And it was so enmeshed in, your, in, in life, the day-to-day life, that everything you dealt with, you were dealing with some kind of deity. Uh, whether it was eating or drinking, there was a God for beef, there was a God for pork, for birds, there was gods for alcohol, for wines, uh, for anything you dealt with, there was a God. So the whole life of a Corinthian was immersed in the worship of gods. I, I've talked to some people who've been over in Baghdad, and he says that it's very simple to evangelize over there. And I was like, Really? Uh, I guess bombs and mortars and things do get people's attention and therefore evangelism. He said, no, the common conversation is religion. Everywhere, no matter what you're, where you're at or what is going on, religion is being spoke of. Questions are being asked everywhere. That would have been similar to the Corinthians. Everything is based on different gods and different situations and things like this. And there was also a great healthy viewing of demons. They believed that the air was full of devils and that the devils had this uh, <laughs> this desire to get inside of people. And one of the ways they would do this is through their food. What happens if I come to Christ as a child of God and I have all of this stuff that is in my life, all of this system in my life, how do I deal with it? Now that I've come to the true God, I've come to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding there's just one God, and that redemption comes through the Son of God. How do I deal with this? And I, in your outline that I've given you, we all basically, we know we all have knowledge. We know an idol is nothing, and we know food is not an issue with God. Every, all three of those are truths. Absolute truths. And that would have been the argument of the Christians in the church in Corinth. But what you'll find is, is that God has taken chapter 8 to explain the problem, chapter 9 through 10, 13 to illustrate the problem, and then 10, 14 through 11, 1, he applies the problem. What is the problem? Weaker saints. Weaker saints. You know, I can look in this group right now and say when it comes to knowledge, there is a varying degrees of knowledge. Some are in school. Some have finished school. Some have master's degrees. Some think they have master's degrees. Okay, some are skilled tradesmen. Some think they're skilled tradesmen. 
Okay, and yet we all are pressing through this with knowledge. Then I take it, let's take it to the spiritual realm. Some have been in Bible college. Some have been raised many, many years exposed to the teachings of God. Some have not. Some are young in their faith. And so the knowledge is, covers a, a very wide spectrum just in this group. How much greater would it have been in the church in Corinth? Because they didn't have 43 churches of plurithia. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, of multiple denominations, beliefs, and things like that. How does that work? How does it apply? I mean, things offered to idols, let's be realistic, it's 2004, it's August. Things offered to idols is really not an issue, is it? Am I worried about where I get my meat? I mean, some of us are worried that we're eating too much. Well, no, that's not the Atkins diet, is it? Atkins diet, you're allowed to eat meat. Eat meat, eat all of it. I want the Angus diet that Burger King is. I tried one of those. It's not too bad. Just give thanks and God provided, but yet again. All right? And and we looked at this, and and Paul gives a a phenomenal argument here in power of the living God. Um, And he starts it out in chapter 8, verse 1, and the things offered to idols, and, and we know that we all have knowledge. It's almost sarcastic. We all have knowledge, he says. Okay, but see, we missed verse 7. However, not all men have this knowledge. Okay? Where are we is what he's saying. Where are you at is what he's saying. And that's what he's telling, asking you and I today. Um, and I, I dealt with this last week, that knowledge is essential. Absolutely. Hosea says we are perishing because we have a lack of knowledge. Okay? But I shared with you that knowledge is not sufficient. It's not sufficient. How many people study the Bible for knowledge? You know, what I should and shouldn't do. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There, <laughs> I encourage it. Okay, read your Bible. But, it, but have you ever read your Bible and it just seems ho-hum? Just blah, 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 blah. Okay, if not, come sit with me. I've got a Greek text, and if not, I guarantee you I can make it go blah, 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 blah. Okay? Why? How can I look at the Word of God, look into the mind of God, and it be ho-hum? Simple. Very simple. Go read an encyclopedia. Why would you read an encyclopedia? Gain knowledge. If you read your Bible to gain knowledge, guess what happens? You'll gain knowledge. Okay? And you'll be an irritant. (laughs) I want to take you back to Philippians chapter 1 again, because then I'll spring back over, because I want us to know that he says we all know. We all have knowledge. In this room right now, we all have knowledge. Um, look what he says in verse 9. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Hmm. How? New American Standards translation translates the next of it. In real knowledge and all discernment. Okay? It literally means true knowledge. True knowledge. Okay? So knowledge is essential, and I can show you that the Apostle Paul ties the two together. I've watched some people try to say that, that Paul was anti-knowledge. That's not true. Okay? He ties it together. He ties it together here in the letter to the Corinthians through a num- numerous implications. And he makes the statement, we all have knowledge. Uh, and and I, I ask myself about this because when I think about the church today, And I'm going to stay here with this body of believers. We have some knowledge. Okay? Our lives as Christians are based on two realities, two truths. One is conceptual, and the other one is relational. Right? Concepts are things that we learn. Okay? I can learn concepts through experiences in life, I can also learn concepts being exposed to 
different people, different situations, different teaching. That's what we have higher education for um, colleges and things is to learn some, some different concepts. But then you've got to ask yourself a question. Now that I have these concepts, what are they for? Let's say you become an expert in nanotechnology. What's it for? Well, I just know how little bitty things work. And the purpose would be what? Listen, there's not a human being, the most ardent person who wants to be the hermit, still wants relationships. We have to have relationships. But here's what happens in the church. I input knowledge so that I can do what? I'm asking you. You go to a Bible study, you read your Bible, you pray, you do your devotion, whatever it is you do, you're taking in information and the purpose of that is what? Why do you do that? Well, I don't read my Bible. Yeah, I can tell. Um, But why do you take in knowledge? You can't walk on the planet Earth and not take in knowledge. You're gaining wisdom at at different places everywhere you go. What do you do with it? What's the purpose of it? What's the point of it? Why are you doing it? You know, I I think about my, my youngest son. He says, Dad, I'm trying not to. I'm in school. I don't like school. Why would I want to? I said, yeah, it'll work. I know there's some of that. I I grew up thinking, who cares what a participle is? Okay? How much money can you make on a participle? Okay? Verbs, adjectives. How awful. Who sat around and thought this stuff up? That's how I grew up. I know some of you didn't. And I pray for you. Okay? Because you're not normal. But it's just stuff like that. What do we do? Look what God's got me doing for a living. Living. Searching participles. Parsing verbs. Yay. But why do I do it? That's what the Apostle Paul's getting at here in chapter 8. We've got to understand this. Because I tied the two together that if I do not have... The relationships, then what good are the concepts? If I do not have love, what good is the knowledge? What good is it? What will it accomplish? Nothing. You know, I was kind of going through this, and I've been studying this text for some time. And, and I've been involved in, in numerous ministerial things, alliances. Well, not alliances. They want to align. I want to listen. Uh, I've dealt with pastors. I've dealt with Christians. I've dealt with several different denominations. I've dealt with all kinds of false teaching. I've dealt with deviant teaching. I've dealt with all, just all kinds of things. And when I think about the unity and the disunity exists in the church, this church had a, a division problem. Okay, didn't it? I mean, that's what he's the first four chapters are. Get your ducks in a row. You have schisms. You have disunity. And and I look, even in this group today, there is some disunity. Let me ask you a question. Church in Corinth, the church in Castle Rock, is it doctrine that is causing the disunity? Would the doctrine of Apollos and Paul and those of Cephas be different? Then why is there disunity in the church? The knowledge is the same. Right? Some of you are looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm starting to, now you're making me nervous. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Would not the knowledge of the church in Corinth be the same? So why would there be disunity? The relationship, personalities, which are 
relationships. The relationships were wrong. What was wrong with them? What was the over-motivated factor in the relationships? Knowledge. Why? We have personality cults. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I'm of Christ. First John says you will know they are Christians. How? Because they're five-point Calvinists, they have a leaky dispensationalism, and their eschatology is pre-tribulation. Is that what he says? How will they know they are Christians? That was more specific than by their love. For one another. Oh, what a drag. Isn't it? Let's be realistic. Look around the room. Come on now. This is an interactive sermon today. Look around the room. Is there some people in this room that you just have more fun with than other people? Why? Because the Bible says it will be my love for the people that I get along with. Nah. You know what God does every time I get into a text like this? He brings some of the nastiest people into my life and says, do you love them? I said, no, but you do. (laughs) I see the bumper sticker I wanted to get. My wife won't let me. It says, Jesus loves you, but I'm her favorite. (laughs) My wife won't let me have that one. I just like that one. I'm his favorite. He just loves you. Why, Why are we that way? Paul makes a statement in chapter 8. He says, you know what? For the sake of a weaker brother, I'll never eat meat again if I have to. Well, but see, those people are legalists. If they weren't such legalists and laying all them heavy burdens on people, then I could love them. Perhaps God has brought your two lives together so that you can help release them from them heavy burdens. Yeah, but you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. I've run into my fair share of legalists. Okay? Right? How practical is this? I mean, I keep looking at this thing, and what in the heck am I going to teach on dealing with idols, food offered to idols? The truth of the matter is, a few weeks ago, I shared with you a message on redeeming the time, and I'm concerned about Castle Rock Baptist Church, and the truth of that thing is, this text screams from the mountains to us here today. I shared this with a few of you this week. How many in this church today are seeking the hand of God? I'm getting ready to start a new adventure or something new, a new ministry. And God, I need your help. Why? Because I'm a humble person and I know that nothing good dwells in me. My theology is good and solid, and I know that if anything's going to be of a benefit in my life, I need your help. So I need your hand, God. How many of us doing that? How many of us in this room today are seeking the face of God? And that person says, Lord, I love you. I want to be in your presence in everything that I do, even if it means just sitting. I can probably very easily tell you what the the percentages are, but I'll let you guys figure it out. Am I seeking God's help or am I seeking God's face? See, the face of God, I can look at Him in His holiness, His power, His majesty. And do like all the great men who are exposed to the unbridled glory of Jesus Christ go, oh, 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 wicked man I am, (laughs) right? And guess what happens? You will find the hand of God leading you. Instead of going out saying, I'm going to do this, Jesus, help me. What just happened? What is the transition that happens there? That is moving from I have knowledge to the interweaving of love and knowledge. 
How, anybody ever hear, ever struggle with what is the will of God? What is your will, God? Anybody struggle with that? You know what keeps you from struggling with that? Do I want his hand or do I want his face? Isn't it? If I'm out doing for Jesus, at what point do I get to that position to say, I don't know what your will is. This seems to be a mess. If I'm seeking his face, what's guiding me? We have a bad habit. What I mean by we, mankind. We need to be busy doing, don't we? Don't we? You know, I got my theology kind of squared away. I got my eschatology put in a nice little package somewhere. You know, I've done parsed my something or other. I've been in church for X number of years. You know what? I've been faithful to Sunday school. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And therefore, I'm going to do this for Jesus. And the whole time, all he's doing is crying from the mountaintop. Do you love me? Do you, when we read John 3.16, God so loved the world, what did he do in his love? He gave us what we needed, not what we wanted. That is agapon, verb, Love, supernatural love, looks at everything and says, I give according to the need. Right? What do we do? My love is based on the want. I love according to, is it convenient for me? I can meet this need. I can do this. The other day I stopped and helped a lady who had a flat tire. Okay? And I found myself getting out of the car. Now, this is, you know, I know you guys are way more holy than I am, but I found myself getting out of the car, knowing that I'm going to do some traveling here in the fall, that, Lord, see, I'm getting out, helping this lady with a flat tire, so if my wife has a flat tire, some really nice person is going to come and help my wife with her flat tire. Huh? Why? Because if not, then I won't be allowed to come back home. I'll be in the proverbial doghouse, and I don't want that. I know you guys don't ever do anything based on, God, you're watching me do this so that you owe me one. Right? Right? And you guys don't do that. But I do. Okay? Then I got back in my car and did the great godly man of God thing. I confess that was wrong. But you did make a note, right? Right? We all do that. You're watching? See this? I'm doing this solely in your power and your love, right? Because other than that, I drive by real fast. Wait, hmm, bummer, flat tire. I'm in a hurry. There must be a relationship that comes out of our knowledge. Why? Because I believe that one of the greatest problems of division that exists has absolutely nothing to do with doctrine. I think it has to do with behavior. Variations in behavior. You know what's really bizarre? I see a lot of the behavior uh, at times aren't necessary. It's kind of bizarre to me. Let me ask you a question. We all sit here today, and I have to ask this question. Will I restrict my liberty for the sake of a weaker saint and the preserving of unity? Will I restrict my liberty for the sake of a weaker saint in preserving unity? Well, but you've got to understand, how am I going to grow these people up to maturity if they don't understand their liberty? Are we sure that love is the response of our knowledge? Now, I don't want you to think about somebody else. Because what you just did is negate everything I've said. This isn't my wife needs to hear this or my husband needs to hear it. Boy, I wish my children were listening or Uncle Ben was here. Doesn't he sell rice? But Or something to that effect. 
Is my knowledge governed by love? Does my knowledge respond to love? Or do I have that little nasty thing that says out of my knowledge comes this love? Why? Well, theologically, I'm supposed to. He quoted 1 John. They will know because we have a love for the brethren. So I have to love. Why? Because I'm a Christian and I'm going to love whether you like it or not. Whether I like it or not, because I have to watch. How many of us do that? I think if we're all honest, we'll, we'll all raise our hands and say we've all done that at a time, and some of us may even live there. Look what he says in verse 2. Okay? Remember what he said knowledge makes arrogant, puffs up. I told you last week, seven times in the New Testament, six times in the Corinthian letters. Puffed up, arrogant, right? So we have a puffy church. All right? Watch what he says in verse 2. This is so phenomenal. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, stop right there. <laughs> it's so cool. Take something that you're in, you're involved in. Okay? Um, you know, we've got some of you who are in the communication industries, and, and I don't know how you stand that, that field of work. It only changes moment by moment. Uh, it's sort of like being in computers. I've got the best and the most promising, well, not anymore, because <laughs> somebody else has come up with something different. So once you get it all down and you know it, do you? So he makes the statement, if you think you have come to the point that you know it, what does he say after that? He has not yet known as he ought to know. How cool is that? What he's saying is, if you think you've become the expert at it, all you've done is shown you're an idiot because the knowledge of man is ever-changing. Is it? Ask yourself a question. What has man discovered that has not changed? Can you think of anything? I can't think of anything. It always changes. I remember when my, my father had a heart attack. At that time, when you had a heart attack, they didn't want you to move. Okay? You, you, you sit in the bed. Don't move. Okay? You don't watch anything exciting. Just be still. Okay. You know what you do if you have a heart attack now? Get your big butt up out of bed. Get moving. Why? We need you active. Why? Because we need you to heal. We need you. Well, what is it? You want me to stop or start? Okay. Cholesterol. We've all heard the cholesterol, right? Is it good or bad? Yes. It is. The body develops it. It's in there. Our problem is that I just like to get a little more of this one. But, but, but do you understand it? I hear, here's what your body weight is. If you're normal, this is how you ought to be. If you're abnormal, this is how you ought to be. Da, 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 da. Go down the line and down the list. How often does it change? Only when you turn to change the server on your computer. Okay? Can you eat nothing but steak? Sure. Will you lose weight? Sure. I tell you this, you can eat anything you want and lose weight if you want to. But why would I put this? Well, because the wisdom of man, does he have knowledge? Grab that. You know, I remember uh, I was getting a degree in electrical design. Okay. Uh, was not a believer, was being drawn, actually was being whipped into the kingdom. I don't know, the rest of you guys, some of you get drawn into the kingdom. I was getting driven by a great big stick. And some of you don't get blessed that way. Um, 
But anyway, electrical design, and one of the things that they kept saying is that electricity is theory. Theoretically, we don't know exactly how it works. We think it's got to do with the slinging off of electrons. We're pretty sure that has something to do with it, but technically we're not sure what causes all of it to decide to just, you know, you can't just look at an atom and say, quick, sling off an electron. So I used to, uh, the guy who was a professor in my class was an engineer out in Martin Marietta, and I, I'm not an engineer kind of guy, and so I like playing with engineers. And I said, then if it's a theory, why do we keep teaching it if we can't see it and we don't know? And then he went off on a big dissertation, and then I had to ask him my most profound question I've ever thought of in my life, besides if we all stand in Montana, would the world wobble? Uh, if positives, or if like charged particles repel each other, and dis opposites attract each other, why does the center of the atom stay together? Because it is all positive charge. So what keeps it together? And then he flunked me on my next test, and I said, Don't quit asking questions like that, huh? <laughs> okay, and he didn't give me one. He says, I think you're just here to stir up debate. And I'm saying, no, I just wanted to know. I've got to design. At that time, I had a little electrical problem. I had to design a circuit that was going to hold and withstand so many milliamps and all the rest of it. And I was concerned that I was going to lose my atoms. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to lose my atoms because I knew I was going to generate heat because I had voltage pushes. Anyway, see, I, there's things I know that I'm sitting there going, why do I know that? Uh, that's why I don't like DC voltage. Okay, See, DC voltage, you can't burn nothing down. AC voltage, you can weld or burn something down, and you know whether you did it right or wrong instantaneously. And you know right where the problem is because it has a great big burnt spot. Okay, whereas DC voltage, it doesn't have a burnt spot. See, good stuff, huh? But what does man's knowledge tell us? Electricity's theory. But I tell you what, you go over and turn that switch on or off, what happens? Light comes on, light goes off. Sometimes, right? Pretty simple. But what happens in man's knowledge? Does it have the bigger picture? Now let me take you to a bigger picture. What about God's knowledge? How often does God's knowledge change? Never. So once I know it, it's a piece of cake, right? Is it? I got in trouble for preaching this sermon. Same college professor was there. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is only one interpretation of Scripture, but there's multiple applications of a given text. Right? But there's only one truth in the, in the text. And what I found is, is that in the body of Christ, most of the variations in behavior come from what? Knowledge that is puffed up and is not willing to love the person in front of them or the people. Why? He says, if you think you've arrived, if you think you have received the knowledge that is necessary, you know what? You don't know anything. See, you don't know the first thing that knowledge knows. that you can't know everything. You can't know it. I've had people ask me questions before and I tell them I don't know. And they look at me like I have sinned the unforgivable sin. I don't know. I have no idea. If anybody thinks that they've got the subject licked and they know how to deal with it, you haven't learned the basic concept of knowledge. Knowledge has to begin and end someplace. Where does it begin and end? Love. Love. Knowledge that is puffed up and arrogant begins and ends someplace, and it ends with love. Whose? Self-love. But God's knowledge begins and ends where? With God's love. You ever studied your Bible and it's dry and you feel like you're reading an encyclopedia? What are you doing? 
Are you falling in love or are you trying to get knowledge? Which is it? Has your prayer time ever felt like I'm sitting in the desert talking with dust in my mouth? You think you know something perfectly, a subject, a topic, a situation, and you don't know the essential element of knowledge. Knowledge is never complete until it is fulfilled by love. I gave you this quote last week. I'll give it to you again this week. I quote, knowledge is the process of passing from the unconscious state of ignorance to the conscious state of ignorance, unquote. Being ignorant is not knowing you don't know. Or being ignorant is not knowing you don't know. But knowledge is knowing you don't know. Why? Man's knowledge changes. So I take it in and I use it for a given specific time, but I don't bank the farm on it. Okay, there's no sense, you know, I mean the simplicity of this, there's no sense of priding myself on what is incomplete. Paul in the 13th chapter of this book says, I now only see as in a mirror. It's an abstract thing. I can see the outline of it. I've kind of got an understanding of it. it. It makes a little bit of sense to me. But when the complete comes... I will then know as I am known. So when I stand here in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in light of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23, understanding that the church is the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to look around and say, I don't know as I am known. Why? The complete hasn't come. Part of our problem is is that we believe that I have X number of pieces of gigabyte and I am now valuable to the kingdom of God. I can now be used. Again, what did I just say started out? Am I seeking the hand of God or the face of God? You'll never have all knowledge. You'll never know real knowledge. And when knowledge doesn't go into love, if that can't take that knowledge and use it in the love that has been poured into my heart, it's supernatural knowledge. It's never a thing that the person needs, it is the what, or what the person wants, but it's what the person is in need of. Why don't you share your faith with lost people? You ever wondered that? Because I don't think I have enough knowledge. I don't know the Romans road. How do I share my faith? Well, many decide to get on an evangelistic plan. And what when you get this, you know, I can share the Romans road or I can do this or I can do this or I can do this. What'd you just do? I have this much knowledge. I can therefore become an evangelist. I mean, that's the joke that exists in in the pastorate. If you're an evangelist, you have seven sermons, seven suits. I'm an evangelist. Let me show you the, the principle of this, what happens. Look what he says. He comes out at verse two. He says, he is not yet known as he ought to know. He's lost the principle of knowledge, completely lost it. Why? Knowledge is not gathering information. Okay, please understand that. It is part of knowledge. But, and that is essential. That's not what you've been called to. Think about John 3.16 verse. What does it say? God so... Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? So out of God who is love, he did what? 
He gave His Son. Now, what is your purpose here? Here's the, here's the, the simplicity of it. I am in this life, however long I am here, being conformed into the image of Christ. What does that look like in light of John 3.16? Okay, yes, but what is the qualifier for the love? Only those who are in the world. Yay. Which ones would those be? Only those that are in the world. And you can have all the knowledge in the world and you can have all knowledge that even Christ has, but if you have not love, we looked at this last week. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. You are noisy gong. You know what that means you are? Nothing. You're nothing. When the gong is hit with the hammer... It makes a noise until it is struck again. If it is not struck, what does it do? It hangs there. And without love, you're this great big piece of metal that you're just waiting for somebody to come up with a hammer and smack it so you can make your noise. That's what Paul says. Why? God so loved the world. He says that your, His love is poured into your heart. They will know you are children of the Most High God because of your love. Where's knowledge? Where's knowledge? Now, don't get me wrong. Knowledge is essential. Knowledge is not sufficient. Knowledge is not sufficient. You have to, we have to grab a hold of that. Why? Look what verse 3 says. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. Okay? Where does true knowledge come from? Where? Where does true knowledge come from? From God. Does God's knowledge change? No. Okay, but what is he telling me here? If anyone does what? Loves God. What has happened? He is perceived by God. Do you get that? That's the knowledge. Only true way to have knowledge of God is to what? Is to what? To love him. So if I'm going to share the gospel to draw people into salvation, what must be the first mandate that that person or people see? I love who? Let me ask you a question. Let me make this thing practical to you. Have you ever seen young people dating? Okay, they go out on a date. Or some old people too. <laughs> anyway. Right? When two people are falling in love, if you're third person, how do you know it? <laughs> you're the odd man out. No. If two people, you can see the, the attraction drawing together and you, you start seeing them, how do you know that they're falling in love? How, do, how is it seen? How is it visualized? They're together. I see them together. How often? All the time. Right? And so you can come to a conclusion that says, I think they're falling in like. And then in a few months, I think we're moving beyond like. Why? That's all I ever see. That's all she or he ever talks about. Right? Great illustration, isn't it? If you spend very much time with me, what will be the focus of my conversation? Is it based on knowledge? Or is it based on 
Love. What is the Apostle Paul saying in verse 3? If you love him, you will know him. You know why most people don't share Christ, evangelize, or whatever you want to call it? Is the love of God seen in that person? Don't you see how this flies in what you've been taught? If I say this prayer and I believe, then what happens? You're saved? That's not what this text says. What does this text say? I am known by God if I say a prayer, I study the Bible, I tithe, I should tithe, I'm tithing more or whatever, double tithing. How do you come? Because of love. It's kind of a scary, scary thought, isn't it? Paul's illustration in the terms of God, you don't just know God. Why? That's knowledge. In fact, you don't know him at all. Till what? You love him. You love him. Remember when Jesus uses all the illustrations, if you're not willing to forsake your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your chicken, your dog, your duck? I don't think he used all of those, but you know the text that I'm referring to. You are not what of me? You're not worthy of me. Okay? When those who would come, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this in your name? And he will say, I didn't what? I didn't perceive you. It's sort of like when the demon guys, uh, Seneca's seven kids rock, whooping up on demons. And the demon comes out and says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. I don't know you. And so it says they were beaten and bloody. Cool. So do you see that? How do you know a person is a child of God? There will be a test on this. Listen, you can, have the, you can have the most orthodox, solid theology that ever existed on the planet Earth, and guess what? You still may not be saved. Why? How can I have a love for God and not His saints? Why don't I read my Bible? Why don't I pray? Why don't I talk to Him? See, I remember when Dr. MacArthur one time told me, say, praying for a Christian should be like breathing. It should just be something you're doing. Just praying. You know what? Paul's vernacular here in verse 3, you really don't know anything if love isn't there. And he doesn't care what your facts are. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. Why? Where does true wisdom come from? God. In the beginning was the logos, logic. You don't know the revelation of God until you have loved him. It's impossible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says, All things have been put under his feet. Why? And he is the head over all things, even his church, which is the fullness of Christ. Okay. If I know what God's promise is, okay, when we pray things, okay, we pray things. How many times do we want to pray, I want God's will? Okay, so I'm going to go kind of cruise through the Bible and I want to find out these are promises. These are things that God has promised. Okay, ask yourself a question. Is the church the fullness of Christ? Then why wouldn't we pray for that? Go back to how I started this message. Am I seeking his hand or his face? Which is it? That's amazing stuff to me. I don't know, kind of freaked me out. A man who loves God only really knows God. Uh, 
in His terms, God's terms. Don't think that you have arrived because of your knowledge. If you think that you're come to salvation because I get gigabytes of information, okay, this text says you can't get there. All right, I think about James. It says you believe in God, you do well. Okay, it says the demons believe, and they're smart enough to be afraid. Okay, so how do I get saved then? Fall in love with God. Why? If you fall in love with God, what do you want to do? I want to hang out with Him. Right? That light, that infatuation grows and grows and grows because I spend more time with Him or her. And it just gets more and more and more and it's kind of cooler and cooler and cooler and we have more and more alike and we just love each other and she's got pretty eyes, he's got pretty whatever. And, you know, and it just goes down the road. Why? How, I got, how did I get to know that? I just kept spending more time. It was more time I spent with him. You know, I just love it when they touch my hand. I love it when he just slap me in the head and all that other stuff, that the icky sentimental stuff. Okay? How am I going to fall in love with God? God's invisible. How am I going to do that? Well, where is the fullness of God? Christ. Well, but you don't understand. It might be the fullness of Christ, but some of that stuff is kind of cranky. You know, there are some Christians in there that can give a porcupine a run for their money. Look at it from God's perspective. You probably were a porcupine at one time. Right? But too often, we gather our knowledge and then say, I want your hand instead of your face. Knowledge must be issued in love. Okay? A church, a Christian, is conceptual and relational. We have concepts, and in them concepts, we communicate them to other people, to other relations. Paul ties the two together. Let me give you a quick summary of what Paul is dealing with. Chapter 1, verses... 4 through 6, he says this, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you in Christ Jesus. Okay? That in everything you were what? Enriched in Him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 7, you were not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good church, isn't it? They've got it all. They've got it all hammered out. What was wrong? Why were they disunified? What gift were they missing in? What knowledge were they missing in? Why would there be disunity? Simple. Love is key to behavior. When you are concerned about how to act towards a brother. You're concerned that what you will do to affect him or her, concerned with their conscience and how they will act to what you're going to do. Are you operating in the basis of love? How important is this? Sunday night we laid a foundation. We started looking and we looked at the foundation of the, uh, the birth of the church in Ephesus. Two years it took Paul there in Ephesus. Went through some stuff to, to, to deal with the church in Ephesus. Okay? He, Paul himself put the elders in the place. Paul himself said goodbye to the elders. I'm going, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken out of the picture and all the rest of it. Okay? This church was a knockdown, drag out theological institution. Amazing church. Did things beyond Paul's understanding, beyond. Uh, Timothy took over as a pastor there. I've read some stuff by a guy named Polycarp who was one of the. Uh, um, elders of the church. That's where John, when he got off the island of Patmos, that's where John fellow, fellowship was, the beloved of God. All right? We're doing amazing things in Ephesus. That would have been in 61, 62 AD. What happened by 90 AD? They lost the first love. 
They lost their first love. Listen, that's a solid church. The church in Ephesus was an amazing church. But what had happened in less than 30 years? They lost the first. They didn't lose their knowledge. Listen. Knowledge is essential. Absolutely. Okay, but I want you to remember this. That knowledge without love makes you absolutely nothing. You're noisy. Remember what he says here. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies, builds up. All right? Look at your outline again. We're finished. We know we all have knowledge. I look in this room. We all have knowledge. Okay? We all in this room know that an idol is nothing. We all know, well, some of you, know that food is not an issue with God. Some of you think it's an issue. All right? But it's not with God. Food is not an issue with God. It's good stuff, huh? But can you take that now and issue it through love? That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in chapter 8. Everyone, please bow your heads. You guys need to think about this. You can have knowledge. You can set under the best teacher. You can set under the best theology. You can set in the best schools. You can have the most orthodox teaching and understanding of God that exists on the planet Earth. But here's the question. Where's the love? Where's the love? You can intellectualize your love for God right now. But I'm going to ask you a single question. I gave you the illustration of a young couple who are falling in love with each other. Is that love seen? Because that's the danger. That's the danger. Father, these precious people, Lord, we thank you for knowledge. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your word and that you've given it to us. Father, I just rejoice that to know that your word can literally perfect our soul. Father, if we have not love, we are nothing. Father, this group of people here, first may they fall in love with you. Lord, I beg you that they fall in love with you. Because, Lord, I know that if they fall in love with you, then they'll fall in love with one another. Father, let this body of people be known as those who love one another. Please help us. Help us to love as you love. To your glory and praise. In Christ's name. Amen.